Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It takes a lot to really shock me. Uh, it just does. I think in 2022, that's probably the same for most of us. There's not many things that people could do. I'm not talking about like horrendous crimes, but even that, like, you know, we, we're so desensitized to so much stuff that it takes a lot to really be shocking. Today, though, I was shocked. And the reason is a story that I read on Global News. Uh, Sam Cooper did this. A Canadian intelligence warned PM Trudeau that China covertly funded 29 election, 2019 election candidates. Let me read you a line from this story. This is from Sam Cooper's piece. Uh, yeah, Sam Cooper's piece. Based on recent information from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, Those efforts allegedly involve payments through intermediaries to candidates affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party, placing agents into the offices of MPs in order to influence policy, seeking to co-opt and corrupt former Canadian officials to gain leverage in Ottawa, and mounting aggressive campaigns to punish Canadian politicians whom the People's Republic of China views as threats to its interests. According to this story, the Chinese government paid, funded election campaigns so candidates could get voted into office who were sympathetic to China. They, they, were, they would have been our politicians, uh, presumably working for the betterment of Canada, but really moles for all intents and purposes. Uh, th- this to me was, a, was an outrageous story. And I don't have any reason to doubt Sam. And I'll only say, if true, not because I don't believe him, but because it's just so outrageous. If true, that I don't even know what to do with this. Let me bring in Elliot Tepper. He is a emeritus professor of political science with Carleton University. He joins us now. Uh, thanks, as always, for the time today. Really appreciate this. Oh, thanks, you, Scott. Good to be with you. Uh, when I, uh, as I said, and you, I don't, I'm assuming you were listening. It doesn't. There, there are not many things that really, really shock me these days. This one did. This to me is just the absolute, we're we're at levels of, is espionage too strong a word here? Uh, It's an evolving word. We, it goes beyond espionage. We've got a a few terms here in play. One is uh, soft power. That is all states, including us, try to work abroad to influence the public and the political leadership to take actions favorable to us. We certainly do that. Um, soft power is a, a powerful tool. We certainly had to do that when, when our uh, economy was threatened with you know, the new NAFTA and all that, and we upped our game considerably. But uh, when it goes, and I'm, I'm going to quote here a parallel country that we often look, look to, Australia dealt with this in 2018 in a clearer way, and they, they said, look, when, it, when it's transparent it's normal that's what all states do but when it's coercive and covert and possibly corrupt then you cross a line then you're into an influence operation that's in a different category and it requires a response it's not just that this has said to have happened but i couldn't see anything that suggested that we know a who these people were or b if any of them won elections so Presumably, theoretically, one or more could be serving as an MP right now. Well, it's certainly a possibility, not only, again, with us, but around the world. What we're seeing is, back up just a a half a step, Canada is now 
joining other countries. Uh, the U.S. is a bit ahead of us. Australia certainly is. In bringing Xi Jinping's China more into focus, the use of espionage, as you put it earlier, is as old as uh, statecraft, I suppose. But in this case, we have a coordinated, planned um, technique to be used as an agency of the state or the Communist Party in the state to spread Chinese influence abroad and to get the resources at once. The 2015 uh, elevation of Xi Jinping into the central core of Chinese power saw the rise of the United Front within China, that is, the United Front as an agency, a, a centralized agency responsible for carrying on this kind of activity at home and abroad. It's coming more and more into focus, the nature of that regime, the Xi Jinping's regime. And we are now seeing some of the ripple effects of that. It's, uh, it's multi-pronged, uh, Scott. It isn't simply, and I shouldn't diminish, diminish this in any way, trying to influence who gets elected and what they say, what people say if they are elected. It goes beyond that. It goes into much deeper aspects of the society. Uh, what part of this is um, in the same article, you'll see there's coerced repatriations. They not only, uh, the Xi Jinping Communist Party not only wants to influence Canadian politics, they also want to come inside Canada and carry out state policy of returning people that they want to prosecute, and they will use their levels of coercion against Canadian citizens, those who are uh, part of the Chinese diaspora and others, uh, and uh, whether they've got people elected or not, we aren't sure, but we are sure that they are interfering in Canadian internal affairs in ways which go beyond any legal or um, transparent means of trying to do public diplomacy. This isn't public diplomacy. This is a, this is a matter of private state interest to uh, act in ways which go probably into the realm of the illegal. And that takes us to the question of what makes something illegal. And that takes us to where is Canada compared, say, to the U.S. or Australia. Australia in 2018 faced pretty well the same kind of story that we're facing now. They passed a number of acts after that. And Australia, Scott, is far more vulnerable than we are to, the, to China, the People's Republic of China, because a third of everything they sell, as it says in the papers, goes to China, and yet they stood, they stood up and said, no, we have to take action. So Canada is coming closer and closer to seeing what other states have said uh, we've seen in the past. We have to take action now. I don't know if one or two, and again, we don't know if any were elected, um, but l let's, for the sake of argument, let's say one or two or five made it in. In the entire House of Commons, that's not a significant number, so I'm not sure how much sway they might have, but is the point to create sway or is the point to have access to information that only an MP would have that you wouldn't get unless you were in a position like that? Well, more broadly, the, the whole goal is to get policies in place and practices in place by the Canadian state that's favorable to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the whole question came up uh, more particularly about what about the Uyghurs? And you saw that Canada's parliament unanimously passed a resolution saying that what's being done to the Uyghurs is genocide. So that policy, if they're trying to influence Canadian policy, uh, that one has failed uh, miserably. But that does not mean that, you know, the people of, who care about Uyghurs 
or for that matter, uh, other minorities in China, uh, and, and what's happening in Hong Kong in particular, uh, the whole question of the Canadian role and what to do about uh, dealing with Hong Kong, uh, for that matter, also Taiwan, all of that is subject to foreign interference at a, in a normal fashion, but this covert and coercive united front policy reaching into various aspects of Canadian society, including the Parliament, but beyond the Parliament, all of that should raise concerns and, up, and should call for, and I believe is calling for, a more uh, active government response. What could we, and we have to run here in a second, unfortunately, yep. what could we do about this? Because we, we have a system that says anybody can run for office. That, that's something unique with Western oh, yeah. freedoms. How do you then deal with something like this that probably was never thought of when these freedoms were created? How do you handle something like this? Yes, this, but that's a study concern. The, what do we do about freedom and, and maintaining it while at the same time dealing with threats to it? Uh, in this particular case, it has to do with putting in to probably legislation or certainly some practices, enhanced levels of counter-security, counter-intelligence operations, the listing of people who are, have to, are forced to register as foreign agents instead of the way we have it now, apparently, where they don't have to register, they can just be foreign agents. There are legislative remedies and also procedural remedies. There's also agencies of government. We have our own counterintelligence, uh, as the U.S. does. The FBI named China as their major counterintelligence concern, major counterintelligence concern, but at the same time said that's the government of the Communist Party. It is not the people of China and it is not the Chinese diaspora overseas uh, in, inside the U.S. We do, uh, and I think the, the Prime Minister said we're working on new tools. I think you will see an enhanced level of the capacity of the Canadian state to react, but we are, we are a little slower than other states, particularly the U.S. and Australia, and having the nature of this uh, Xi Jinping's China come into focus. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science with Carleton. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this today. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.